Let's begin with prayer. Father, what amazing, beautiful, simple truth. Christ has died and it's all our hope that he died on our behalf. And he has risen, vindicated, innocent, true. And he will split the skies, the trumpet will sound, and everything will be made right again. He will come again. Oh God, grant us hearts amazed Hearts rejoicing. Hearts that endure and persevere. Because your son has lived, he has died, he has risen, and he will come again. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So, as I was studying for this message... um, I, was, I ran into the, the, some statistics. I won't go through the statistics themselves, but one of the points that was made was families that eat together around the dinner table three or more times a week are much healthier, are better academically, they engage in less risky behaviors, uh, they're more connected to their parents. And just overall, the, the findings was when families eat together, they're just much, they're much better adjusted. They are well adjusted. They're more emotionally balanced. They're healthy. Why is that? I think it's because meals connect people. Meals connect people with each other. We join with each other when we join around the table. Maybe you've experienced it. I hope you have. But when we fill up our dinner table with people, you walk in and there's always that little bit of time where, I don't know, it's, it's not uncomfortable, but it's a little less awkward and conversation's a little harder to start and it takes a little more work. But sometime through the course of the meal, by the time it's over, you've joined hearts around that table and the conversation's freer and the company is more connected because meals connect us with people. Meals join us together around the table, not just biologically we've fed ourselves, but mystically and spiritually we've joined with the group of people we've shared a meal with. This is why the people were so upset with Jesus when he would eat with sinners. Because they said he's joining himself, he's connecting himself to sinners and to tax collectors. Meals join us together. And so when we're asking you to go deeper with one over a meal, we're asking you to join yourself, to connect yourself to another human being. When we encourage you to fill up your dinner table from time to time with people from the church and others that you're reaching out to, we're asking you to join with, to connect with people. And when we take the Lord's Supper, when we look at these elements, it's not just... A personal reflection time. It's God's family, the church, coming together around the family dinner table and joining ourselves to each other. It is a meal that connects us with each other. The Lord's Supper is our family dinner table as a church. We talk about it when we introduce baptism. Baptism is it's the opening up the front door of a new family home. And once you've walked in, you're family for life. But the Lord's Supper we take on an ongoing basis. Why? Because a family's supposed to sit down around the table. It's healthier when it sits down around the table. 
We're more united when we sit down around the table. We're joined to each other when we sit down around the table of our King, Jesus. And today we're going to share the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11 to do that and kind of just walk that passage a little quicker than normal. But we're just going to look at the Supper and we're going to look at what it reminds us of. But as we go there, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 11, I want us to go back a little further than 1 Corinthians. I want us to go way, 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 way back to the Old Testament and say, where does the Lord's Supper come from? What is the Lord's Supper about? And so if you go way, 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 way back, the children of Israel were in slavery in a place called Egypt. And it was hard, and they beat them, and they threw their babies into the water, and it was horrible, back-breaking, torturous slavery. And so the people groaned, and the people cried out, and God heard their cry, and he remembered, and he gave them Moses. And Moses grew up to be the deliverer that God has chosen and appointed to go to Pharaoh. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I don't know you. I don't know your God. I'm Pharaoh. No. And God says, okay, we'll see about that. And he goes through nine plagues. Nine plagues that say, no, I'm God, you're not. And let me introduce myself to you. I'm God and I'm sovereign and I can do what I please. And Pharaoh still says, no. He hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart. And so here comes the tenth plague. And the tenth plague is the only plague where the people of Israel had to play an active part. All the others, they just had to be Israel, and nothing happened to them. But for this plague, and this plague alone, they take a lamb into their home. They live with this lamb for three days, and then they kill the lamb. And they take some of the lamb's blood, and they put it on the top post of their doors, and they put it on the side post of their door, and then they come and they consume the lamb, a meal, a family meal. They sit down at a table together and they take this lamb as their meal, as their food. And on the night where the tenth plague comes, the angel of death comes to the house. And every house that he comes to, where he sees the blood, he passes over that house and goes to the next one. The blood on the door, the blood that they have applied becomes the means of avoiding judgment and it becomes the means of their own salvation. And so blood delivers from judgment. Blood saves. Fast forward about 15, 12 to 1500 years and Jesus is in, nearing the end of his earthly life and ministry and he tells his disciples, Go. You're going to find this thing happening. You're going to follow this guy and you say, the Lord needs your room. And you're going to find an open room and an, or an upper room to share the Passover with Jesus and his disciples. And there's 365 days a year last I checked. And Jesus could have chosen any of those 365 days to institute the Lord's Supper and to uh, be the last night that leads into the cross. And he chooses Passover. He chooses the Old Testament deliverance by blood and a lamb to be the picture of the Lord's Supper. And he takes this bread and he says, it's my body broken for you. And he takes this cup and he says, this is my blood, the new covenant in my blood. And so we have a new lamb, 
Not a lamb that has to be offered over and over and over again for sins, but a lamb who has to be offered once and for all, for all sins, for all time. And this blood does not get smeared on physical doorposts. It gets smeared on our hearts. And this blood allows judgment of God to pass over our lives. And this blood, once and for all, allows salvation to enter our life. And he chose to do it on the night of the Passover. A new lamb, a new sacrifice, the final lamb. The final sacrifice. And so we're coming to take the Lord's Supper, the Supper of Deliverance, the family meal that represents our need because of our sin, our family meal that represents God's provision of His grace through His Son, a family meal that puts different weird people like us in the same room, worshiping the same God, sharing the same life together. 1 Corinthians 11 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you come together and it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you and I believe it. For there must be factions in order that those who are genuine among you to be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. All right. So end rant. Begin institution of the Lord's Supper. We'll get to it. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let each person then examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. But if you judged ourselves truly, We would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give instructions when I come. And so the Lord's Supper strengthens our union with Christ and our community with each other. The Lord's Supper strengthens our union with Christ and our community with each other. And so we're going to look at this passage from a past, present, and future standpoint um, as the instructions are given out. And so the first thing is look back and remember the gospel. The Lord's Supper reminds us, look back and remember the gospel. The Lord's Supper strengthens us in the grace of Jesus Christ because we look back and remember the gospel. 
The Lord's Supper strengthens our union with each other as a church, our unity and community as a church, because we look back and we remember the gospel. When was the last time you stepped back and really thought about where you were when the gospel became real to you? When was the last time you just kind of stepped back out of life for a second and you thought, man, when Jesus visited me with his gospel, here's where I was. For me, preparing this week, I I just sat back and thought about that. And I thought about, oh man, what would my life be like without this gospel? And I thought about, where was I when it became real? And where I was, was so depressed I couldn't get out of bed. Like, I would work three hours a day because that's all I could do. That's all I could get out of bed, and I would sleep all the time. And I was a jerk, and Amy was great. She always has been. And so I was destroying my marriage, and I don't know how much longer she would have put up with me when the gospel came to me. And I thought this week, what would not be true of my life today if the gospel didn't come? I wasn't asking for it to come. I think there's no Emily. There's no Sarah, there's no Lydia, there's no Christopher, there's no marriage. I don't know any of you people. I don't get to share life with y'all. This thing called being a pastor was nowhere on the horizon if there was no gospel. If at the specific moment that God chose to make the gospel come alive and real in my life didn't happen, if the darkness wasn't banished by the light of the gospel, where I would be. Where were you? Where were you when the light of the gospel broke into darkness? Maybe it was in sin. Maybe you were a kid who was raised under these things and and you just had this beautiful home picture of the gospel and you walked into faith. Great. Where were you when the light came on? Where were you when the gospel became real? The Lord's Supper reminds us, look back to that. Remember where the gospel found you. Remember where you would be without this gospel. And then look further back and remember the beauties of the gospel that were played out on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Let's look at it in the text. Here we go. Um, The context, as you can tell, it's a corrective passage. The Corinthians had blown everything. If you read it last month in our reading plan, the Corinthians messed everything up including the Lord's Supper. And they came together and they divided from each other. This unity meal became an opportunity to divide. And so the rich would sit in their little groups of rich people and they would get drunk and they would eat until they were about to explode while the poor side of the church had nothing to eat. And this is how they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Wow, how do you blow it that bad? I mean, throw a scrap or something, right? But this is where they are. They get drunk and they're gluttonous and they eat while others have nothing. And Paul says, I don't commend you at all. You're a mess. And then he goes on and puts the positive affirmation of here's what the Lord's Supper is. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Here's what it is. And he says, uh, and then he introduces the elements. And what we find Jesus doing at the end of each element, he says, do this in remembrance of me. If that curtain weren't covering that. That's what it'd say on the front of the table, right? Every Lord's Supper table you've ever seen, in remembrance of me. What does that mean? So for us, when we think about that, when we think about remember, we think, I'm going to bring to mind some facts that I have forgotten, right? 
So do this in remembrance of me. Okay, I had not been thinking about the gospel much lately. Let me remember Jesus. Okay. Let me think about the whips and the nails and the crown and, and the cross and all this stuff and feel really bad. Or let me remember my sins are forgiven me and feel really good. But let me just remind myself of the facts. That is not what remember meant in biblical thought and in Jewish thought in particular. To remember something, especially when you're talking about a covenant, which we are here, when you're talking about the covenant, to remember something was to walk back into the past and to experience again the reality of a past event. And so it is to take the past and make it come alive again in the present. It is to take the past and to experience it like it's an ongoing event right now in the moment. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, walk back into the gospel realities and experience them again as if they are happening right now. And by that, he doesn't just mean the cross and the nails and the whip and the crown. He means the gospel and what it accomplished. He means the significance of the cross, not just the physical stuff of the cross. And so walk back into the gospel unfolding in the cross And experience again that past event like it is present and alive and real. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we look back and we remember and we experience again in a living way, not in a mental fact way, in a living way, we experience again the gospel. We experience again the cross and the beauties of the gospel in our lives. Do this and experience me again. Do this and remember, experience the past events that made the gospel alive. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he started and he broke the bread. He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread. Well, in the law, what we found, or or what the the Bible tells us is, cursed is everyone who who, who, uh, hangs on a tree. And so to hang on the tree means you're cursed by God. And Jesus was broken on a tree. He was hung on a tree. He was cursed. But with whose curse? It wasn't his. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. He was cursed, not for his curse. He was cursed with our curse. And so he became a curse on a tree. He broke the curse over our lives on a tree for us. And so he became sin, he became cursed, he was hung on a tree, not for his own, but for ours. And the curse was broken over your life and over mine. Because he was cursed on a tree with your curse. And so now, because he was cursed on a tree, he can offer you blessing where curse is deserved. And that's the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken. This is my body cursed with your curse. So that you can have my blessing in its place. Eat this and experience again the curse being lifted off of your life. Eat this and actively, in a living way, remember the curse being broken over your life and blessing pouring in in its place. And then he took the cup. After supper was over, they had finished eating. They had had several representative cups and now he takes the cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jeremiah 30, 31, 31, if you'll put that in your notes, God comes to the people of Israel because they had blown it and he knew they would blow it. And he had done everything 
to demonstrate his power and his glory among that nation, and they'd still blown it. He had been their God, and they had walked from him over and over again. And so in Jeremiah 31, 31, this is what he says, Behold him, the days are coming, and I'll make a new covenant with you. It won't be like the old covenant, it'll be a new covenant. And I'm going to put my law on your hearts. And I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And this covenant will involve the forgiveness of sins. I'll forgive your sins. And so when Jesus took the cup, and he said... This cup is the new covenant. This cup is Jeremiah 31, 31 coming alive. This cup is you being my people and me being your God. This cup is me writing a new law on your heart. This cup is the forgiveness of your sins. Because we know without the shedding of blood, sins can't be forgiven. This cup is your forgiveness. This cup will pour blood over your life that cleanses you. And forgives you. And washes every stain and every spot from you. It's the new covenant in my blood. Drink it and experience in a living way sins forgiven. Drink this cup as a family and experience again your desperate need of grace and the grace that has been amazing and given to you. Drink the cup as a family and remember experience in the present the living Reality of sins forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. And so look back and remember the gospel. The supper lets us remember we're both rehearsing the gospel realities in our life and salvation, but much more we're remembering the beauties of the gospel. We're not just rehearsing suffering. We're not just rehearsing the Passion of the Christ movie. We are rehearsing the beauties of the gospel that lay before us where our curse is broken and blessing comes and our sin is canceled and blood cleanses it. Remember the gospel. Remember the one who knew no sin became sin for you. That in him you might have the righteousness of God. Look back and remember the gospel. Second, look out and proclaim his death to yourself, to the church, and to the world. Look out and proclaim his death to yourself, to the church, and to the world. The gospel is not just a past event to remember. It is a present reality to proclaim. And there's not one moment of your Christian life that you don't need this message. Okay, I'm saved. Let's go on to the deeper stuff. The gospel is the deeper stuff. Oh, okay. Now that I know about Jesus, I'm tired of you. Y'all just talk about the gospel all the time. Yeah, because you will never exhaust the riches of the gospel in your life ever. And you'll never outrun your need of the gospel in your life ever. And there will never be a day of your existence that you don't need the message of the gospel proclaimed to you. But I'm tired of all that gospel. Let's get the good stuff. The gospel is the good stuff. So you need to speak over your life day in and day out. Jesus is my perfect sacrifice who died on the cross for my sins. Jesus is my perfect righteousness that makes me righteous. Jesus is the perfect demonstration of the Father's love for me while I was a sinner. Jesus is my perfect acceptance before a holy God. And in Jesus, I am righteous. And you need to speak righteousness over your sinful life. 
Jesus is perfect love from the Father. And you need to speak the perfect love of the Father over your life, over and over. Not because you're good, not because you deserve it, not because you've worked really hard, not because you went to church this week, not because you read your Bible, but because of Jesus. And you need to speak that over your life. And you need to speak, I am holy, totally set apart to the beloved, and I'm secured in him. And you need to speak that over your life day in and day out, because you know what? And when you preach it to yourself enough, you'll start believing it. And when you start believing it, guess what? You will start living like it's true. You will start living like one who is holy. You will start living like one who is perfectly righteous. You will start living like one who has been completely accepted forever, no matter what. And you'll start living like somebody who's loved by the only one that matters. Yeah, our parents didn't love us the right way, or a spouse didn't love us the right way, or kids don't love us the right way, or friends have rejected us. Guess what? There's a God in heaven who has the final say, who speaks over eternity, love and acceptance to us. And no matter what, human beings fail us and disappoint us. This is true, and it's true forever. And if we can live like that's true, if we can believe that is true, Think of all the things it sets us free from. It sets us free to love other people, even when they're unlovely. It sets us free to accept people when they're different than us. Truly, preach this gospel to yourself forever. And preach this gospel to the church. The only reason we're here is by the grace of God. We only exist as a people by grace. This gospel is the only thing that puts you and me in the same room. And you with each other in the same room. This church exists for Jesus Christ. This church exists by Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist because of what you like and don't like. And it doesn't exist for me. And it doesn't exist because of what I like and don't like. It exists for Jesus and only Jesus. And that's a gospel reality. And so as often as you eat this bread... And as often as you drink this cup, as often as you remind yourself in a living way about this Jesus that it's all about anyways, as often as you do that, the text says, you proclaim the Lord's death. These are believers taking the supper. Well, most of them, some of them, it's questionable, right? These are believers taking the supper. And it's saying to them, you're proclaiming to each other, you're proclaiming to the church The death of Jesus. Because the church needs to know the death of Jesus over and over and over. You proclaim the Lord's death to each other as a living, present reality. And you preach it to yourself, you preach it to the church, and you preach it to a world that is desperately broken in need of it. A world who is cursed, and yet Jesus has taken their curse. A world who is lost in their sins and trespasses. But a Jesus who took their sin on the cross, who became their sin for them, and will offer them his righteousness. The world needs to hear the gospel. And if you're here this morning, and the gospel, not the religion, not the church going, and not the church membership, the gospel, if you've never believed it, then this is a living picture to preach to you your sin and your lostness. So sinful and so lost that God had to kill himself, his son, for it. And then raise him back up from the dead. So that he could offer you life. And this message preaches a bloody need of salvation and a bloody remedy of salvation to you. And there is not a human being on earth that doesn't need that message. Who is not cursed. Who is not broken. But Jesus broke so that you could unbreak. And was cursed so that you could be blessed. And that's his offer to you.
So look out and proclaim the gospel. The third step we take is look forward to that final feast. Look forward to the final feast. We don't just look back and remember the gospel. We don't just look out and say the gospel must be proclaimed. We look forward to a coming feast. The Bible is all about feasts. Have you ever read that? Like read through there and see all the parties the people in the Bible threw. It's filled with them. In fact, Jesus is talking. He's like, oh man, what is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a party. It's like a feast. And the great Lord of the land invited people to the wedding feast of his son. And all the people, when it came time, made excuses and wouldn't come. And so the king, in rage, sent his servants out and said, Go get him from anywhere you can find him. Go to the highways, go to the hedges. Bring in, fill my son's house, because this is celebration time. We're going to have a feast. Jesus feasted with tax collectors, and he feasted with sinners. He used this imagery of a wedding feast and to be ready for him. But it all points to one great, big, culminating feast. The wedding supper of the Lamb. When the church is called up to heaven and her struggles are no more. When the church is called up to heaven and she is in danger no more. When the church is called up to the banquet of King Jesus. Surrounding the table of King Jesus with a feast prepared by King Jesus. Together before him forever. That's what we're waiting on. That's what we're waiting on. When trials are gone and temptations are gone and struggles are gone and nothing but the presence of Jesus exists, we're waiting on a feast. And if we're waiting on a feast, we won't be so trapped by the little feast the world offers, will we? These fake parties that hold nothing to the eternal bliss of being in the presence of God, they won't hold the same power over us. I'm waiting on a feast. I don't care what I lose in the meantime. I'm waiting on a feast. I don't care how much it hurts in the meantime. I'm waiting on a feast. I don't care what I have to not do or give up in the meantime. I'm waiting on a feast. I don't care if there's some potato chips I have to leave aside. There's a steak prepared by God. Can you imagine how good a chef God is? The one who made food and made the world? And he's going to make you a feast. And it's going to be better than anything you lose on the road to it. It's going to be better than any pain you have to endure on the road to it. And if you'll remember the feast, you'll live like it's coming. The last step, and we won't go into it much, is look inside and evaluate yourself. We look back and remember the gospel. We look out and proclaim our need for the gospel and the gospel for our need. We look forward because the feast is coming. And all that leaves us in the moment where we must look inside. You see, the Lord's Supper is a time of great blessing. To live again this gospel. To experience again this gospel. But because it's so great a blessing, it also has the power to be equally great a curse on us. If we dare to disgrace it in an unworthy way. Can you imagine... The father who sent his son and killed him on a cross so that you could share this meal. When you disgrace this meal, the offense that it brings to him. That's what Paul says as he closes out the text. If you eat this bread and you drink this cup in an unworthy manner, judgment's coming. Life is offered here, but if you don't take life, you'll take judgment in its place. And so the remedy, examine yourselves. If you'll judge yourself, you won't need to be judged, the text says. But if God has to judge you, he will discipline you so that you're not destroyed with the rest of the world. The text says some of you are sick and you're ill and some of you are even dead. Because you messed around with the Lord's table. 
Such great blessings to live again the gospel over and over as a family. Such potential danger to play around with it like it's not a big deal. And so I would just encourage you, if you are an unbeliever, this is a gospel meal for gospel people. Not to leave you out, but to protect you. This meal is for those who have believed the gospel. And so if you're still wrestling with this and you're not there yet, please don't take the supper. Nobody's looking to pay attention to you letting it pass by. You let it pass by and you don't take the supper. It's serious stuff. It's gospel serious. So I'd encourage you to let it pass. I would encourage you before that to let it preach. Let it preach to your life, salvation, and gospel. So don't take it if you're an unbeliever. Guys, our kids are here with us. It's a great opportunity to teach them about the gospel. But it is not time for them to take the Lord's Supper unless they are a professed believer in Jesus, right? And so you teach them what it means, but you don't share it with them unless they have come to a place of salvation. It's a teaching point. You want to do that to your kids. The second thing I would say examine yourself for is if you are in broken fellowship with other believers or if you're in a sin that you have not repented of, meaning you are entrenched in it and you're not ready to let it go yet, you have not covered it in grace, don't take the supper. To take it in an unworthy manner, broken unity with others, to take it in an unworthy manner, sin that you're not giving up yet, don't take it. It is better to let it pass, to deal with what you have to deal with, and then take it the next time. Because God takes it that seriously. But for the rest, if you're an imperfect, sinful person seeking to follow Jesus, rest in the gospel and rejoice when you take this meal. Don't let guilt plague you because it's not meant to be a guilt meal. Let grace amaze you and you rejoice as you take the supper. Let's pray. We're going to have a time of invitation and reflection, uh, and then we will share the supper. So, Father, I just pray that the beauty of the gospel would come alive to us as a family again. God, that the beauty of this gospel would come alive in our hearts again. Father, we need it. We need it. We need to experience the gospel again. We need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We just beg you, beg you to pour that grace into our lives of remembering and proclaiming. And Father, as we come to take this meal, make us worthy through the blood of your Son. Make us worthy by saving people, calling them from darkness to life. Make us worthy by breaking down uh, the things that, that have separated us from others and the resentments and bring forgiveness and cleansing. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to our time of invitation, I want to invite you. I want to invite you. Do you know this Jesus? This Jesus who is broken and this Jesus who is bled? Not do you know his religion and not do you know his church and not do you know Christians? Do you know him? If not, I would invite you to come. Let's pray together. Or... You write down on that little sheet and let, let us answer your questions about it. This is a meal that's meant to proclaim to you his death and to proclaim to you the life he offers. But maybe for most of us, this is a time of just confession and examination. And we need to spend some time in silent meditation just thinking, all right, God, 
What is it? Where does grace need to be applied? Search me. Try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. God, just by your spirit, search my heart and cleanse it and prepare it. Or maybe for you, it's a time to just celebrate. It's a time for your heart to rejoice in a salvation that really is this amazing. We're going to do that as we sing. And then our men will come forward and we'll serve the supper after. So you may stand and sing or you may sit and meditate or you may come forward and respond. Spend this time preparing your heart for the supper. as our men come forward to serve the supper just spend this time in meditation your head can be bowed your eyes closed as we prepare just spend this time preparing your hearts to serve the supper to have the supper and you may be seated so there is a real living sense in which God imparts grace into our lives through this supper. There's a sense in which he strengthens our experience of Jesus and, it, and strengthens our unity with each other. And so as he declares his brokenness to make us whole and his curse to give us blessings and his blood to give us life, we receive the grace that he desires to speak into our lives and we receive the draw to connect to each other as family around his dinner table. And so that night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you, cursed with your curse, so you could be blessed with his blessing. Let's pray. And so, Father, help us to... Remember to actively, in a living way, walk back through this gospel in living colors. Help us to look down to our children beside us and declare to them this beautiful mystery of this gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And on that same night, when the supper had finished, he said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. It is the cleansing, forgiving law within your heart. You will be his people and he will be your God covenant in his blood. Father, remind us again the beauty of sins forgiven. Remind us again the weight of darkness and the weight of sin and the weight of its tyranny. And remind us again of the yoke of your son Jesus that's easy and the burden that is light to know him. Help us feel fresh and new and clean and forgiven because of what you have done, because of the blood you have poured out, because of the blood Jesus that cleanses every sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And then Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And after they had finished the meal, the Bible says they sung a hymn. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to give one quick announcement before we go. Our Peru team will be leaving the church at about 1030 on Friday. So if you would like to come between 1015 and 1030 and pray with us and send us off, we'd welcome you to come and send us off that way. But if not, we'd appreciate your prayers. But what we do now is we're going to all stand and we're going to join our hands across the auditorium, across the aisles. And we're going to close by singing a hymn. So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ As His body here on earth As we share in His suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King. As we share, let's sing that one more time. As we share in His suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of hell around the table of Around the table of the King. Amen.